Welcome to In the Room, episode number four. I'm Ryan Hughley, and if you don't know, I'm the founding and lead pastor of Redemption Bible Church just outside Chicago. You can find me online at ryanhughley.com and also on Twitter at, at @ryanhughley. The concept of the podcast is simple. I want to bring you into the room with pastors, authors, and artists for conversations about the craft of ministry. And as always, I want to invite you to contribute to the conversation. You can join the conversation online using the hashtag In the Room. Now, in this episode, I'm talking with Dr. Greg Allison. He's the professor of Christian theology at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And one of the great things about Dr. Allison is that he's also an elder at his church, which means he's both a professor and a practitioner. Today, we're going to be discussing his new book, Roman Catholic Theology and Practice. So in our conversation, we're going to cover a brief history of the Catholic Church, how the Catholic Church differs from the Protestant Evangelical Church, and how we can best love and minister to those who are Catholic. This is a great one. So jump into your workout, get into your car, or grab some coffee, because I want to invite you into the room for my conversation with Dr. Greg Allison. Well, Dr. Allison, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. I'm uh, really, really excited about being able to talk to you about your new book, Roman Catholic Theology and Practice. Uh, my church, Redemption, is in suburban Chicago, where uh, I believe, as you know, we have just over 2 million Catholics. So yeah. Chicago is a very Catholic city, and I'm already learning a lot in reading your book and really looking forward to talking to you about it more. But I'd like to start with a little bit of background about you, if that's sure. okay, for people who mm -hmm. may not know you. So I was hoping just briefly you could tell me a little bit about uh, where you're from originally, and uh, did you grow up in a Christian home? What kind of spiritual heritage do you have in your family? When did you come to faith? And, and, uh, and what has your journey consisted of thus far? So I was actually born in Cook County Hospital. Okay. Uh, they're in Chicago. Not too far. And at uh, two years old, then uh, we moved to the first suburb south. So if you know Chicago, 144th and Halsted is where I grew up in Absolutely. Riverdale. Okay. And uh, in a uh, home that uh, we went to a very, very liberal church. Okay. Uh, on a good Sunday, the pastor and his, well, I won't tell you his name. The pastor okay. would uh, read Time Magazine articles and on a bad Sunday, he would interpret his dreams. So uh, to say the least, I never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sure. Until I was a senior in high school and a group of lay people, both adults and high school students my age, I was a senior in high school at the time, they came to our church and talked about a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Huh. And so for the first time I heard the gospel and a Saturday night in October of 1971, uh, the Lord opened my heart to uh, repent of my sins and embrace Jesus Christ by faith. And so I began then my walk with Jesus Christ uh, as a senior in high school. Went off to Northern Illinois University in DeKalb and there got involved in what was then called Campus Crusade for Christ, yeah. now CRU. Yep. I met my future wife there at the university and um, immediately upon graduation, we got married and then joined staff of CRU. And our first assignment was University of Notre Dame in South Bend, Indiana, where we began to develop a real burden for working with uh, Roman Catholics. Yeah. And just so people know, not to interrupt you, but people yeah, need please. to read the introduction to your book and hear the story about how you ended up at Notre Dame. Uh, we don't have yes. to go into that now, but that is I just thought that was such a fascinating story. Oh, cool. Thank you. Yeah. So worked for two years at Notre Dame and then Cruz sent us over to Rome, Italy 
where my wife and I were embedded in a Roman Catholic lay evangelization movement called Alpha Omega. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I was basically training evangelical Catholics, if you will, okay. uh, how to share the gospel, how to lead Bible studies, do basic follow-up with new believers, you know, lead ministries and things like that. And our burden for uh, working with Catholics and ministering with Catholics grew. I uh, did my MDiv at Trinity and then my PhD, and uh, throughout those experiences, you know, took a couple of classes on Catholic theology, one at Mundelein Se- Seminary there near uh, near TEDS. Yeah. And uh, for the last 20 years of teaching, then I've been teaching a course on Roman Catholic theology and practice, uh, hence the book. Yeah. Uh, to to um to kind of get the give you the background for that. Sure. Um, one of the things I really like about your uh, in reading your bio and then just learning a little bit about you is learning that you have so much experience that's not just in the university setting, but also 18 years in various forms of vocational ministry as well, working right. both with crew and then as a missionary and then the church that you co-pastored uh, in Switzerland. But I'm curious how all of that ministry experience has informed the way that you teach men and women now who are aspiring to serve in ministry? Like, do you think that that has provided you with a unique vantage point from which you teach as a professor and that you were a practitioner as well? Absolutely. A very unique perspective, uh, shared also by many of my colleagues, but unique in that uh, we have lived uh, the theology and biblical studies that we uh, teach our students. We've lived yeah. it out in practice in the context of a local community. Yeah. Um, and, and and so, I mean, I, I've raised support to be a missionary. I've worked as a pastor overseas, yeah. worked among university students and, and in uh, communities. Uh, uh, so I think it does give me a uh, unique perspective uh, from which to teach. Yeah. And, and I continue. Uh, I mean, I'm a pastor at uh, our church. I'm one of 43 pastors at Sojourn wow. Community Church. And and I'm discipling several men who are discipling other men. Yeah. And uh, I teach and I, I do theology for our church. So I have one foot in the academy and one foot in the church, which I yeah. love. Yeah. And what has to be great for students is that just the sense of empathy that I think that that probably provides you with as they are raising support and uncertain yep. about calling and direction. So I think that's great. And and I will say as, as evangelicals, I think that we need more books on this topic. And oh, I've, great. I've seen yeah. an increased amount of talk on, online on social media about this new book. And uh, so I wonder if you could just share a little bit about the inspiration behind it. I can't imagine this was an easy undertaking. And so I wonder what it was that drove you uh, to write this project. So even in uh, teaching the course and ultimately then writing the book, you know, I was driven by how how should evangelicals um, interact with Catholic theology, and yeah. and I wanted to provide resource for evangelicals to properly understand and assess uh, Catholic doctrine, Catholic theology, and practice. And and I guess there were several ways I could have done that. I could have interviewed Catholics from all over the world to get the variety of Catholicism out there, traditional Catholics and more progressive Catholics and evangelical Catholics and all like that. But I I decided to work with the official systematic theology of the Catholic Church, which is encoded in the catechism of the Catholic Church. Right. And and so my teaching and ultimately my book is basically walking through the catechism of the Catholic Church section by section, describing Catholic belief and practice— and then assessing that theology and practice according to both scripture and evangelical theology. 
So I, I don't have the flavors of Catholics out there in my book, but I do work with the the official doctrine of and practice of the church. Yeah, I do want to talk to you a little bit about <clears throat> kind of the, there's not just one kind of Catholic, just exactly. like there's not just necessarily one Protestant denomination or, or anything like that. But before we get to that, um, at like at Redemption at our church, we're seeing a, a growing number of Catholics. And, and I see that, that over and over again, Catholics who are coming to our church really seem to want to know two things. What is it that makes us different meaning mm-hmm. like as, as, as Protestant evangelicals, what makes us distinct? And then secondly, how do they continue to live with and engage family members who are still within the Catholic church? And yeah. so, um, I want to talk about that, but, but at, at the start, I was hoping that you could kind of give maybe a 30,000 foot view of maybe just briefly the history of the Catholic church, because I think that there's a lot of confusion surrounding the Vatican one, Vatican two, the new popes doing a lot of new things. And, and it seems as though even Catholics aren't sure what to think right now, some anyways. And so could you just like help me understand a brief timeline of how the Catholic church has progressed and the significance of things like Vatican two, how that's unfolded and what impact that's made. Is that, I, I don't know how you're going to do that quickly, but, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I don't know how I'll do it either. Yeah. Let me give a stab at it. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so the, the, the early church is a united church other than the heresies, right? Right. Um, and, and, and so there's, uh, there's one growing movement of Jesus Christ uh, as his church spreads. Yes. Um, and, and Rome, the city of Rome, for many reasons, uh, not only spiritual reasons, but political and economic reasons, becomes the center of what we would call Western Christianity. And there's a development of um, the Bishop of Rome, uh, being called the Pope in the sixth century, end of the end of the sixth century, and all, and and uh, so yeah, so the importance of Rome and the Pope in Rome takes on this this uh, a, a greater and greater value. Uh, you come into the medieval period, and and you have the reality of monastic movements like the Franciscans and the Dominicans, sure. and uh, you've got a church that is hierarchical in nature. It's emphasizing the Eucharist as the very body and blood of Jesus Christ, insisting that people go to Mass at least once a year after confession of sins. The, the church hierarchy in particular becomes extremely corrupt, um, involved in a lot of sexual immorality, money, politics, military might, and all like that, yeah. which creates really an atmosphere that's ripe for a reformation. And so yeah. you have Luther and Zwingli and Calvin stepping into this situation and, and breaking away from the Catholic Church, which then in the uh, post-Reformation period is, is largely anti-Protestant. And you've got the Council of Trent, which anathematizes or curses or sends to hell all Protestants who believe in justification by grace through faith and Scripture alone and all like that. Sure. You come to Vatican I in the middle of the 19th century, and you've got a church which is really feeling pressure from uh, modernism, liberalism, uh, uh, a lot of political problems and all like that. And the, and the Pope proclaims that he's infallible uh, when he speaks on matters of faith and practice. And we've got this church that's entrenched in its own reality up to Vatican II, 1962 to 1965, which was an aggiornamento or a, an updating of uh, Catholic theology and practice, the entire uh, Roman Catholic Church uh, in the modern world. And, yeah. and since Vatican II, the Catholic Church has been implementing 
the documents of Vatican II expressed okay. in things like uh, uh, vernacular um, masses, so masses in the common language of the people, uh, outreach to Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists, ecumenical dialogue with them, and so forth. Right. So, so in that, I actually I didn't know all of that. That was exceptional, by the way. Uh, oh, that good. was like an entire history of the whole thing in like five minutes. So well <laughs> yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. Um, so during, I left out a lot. No, no, yeah, no. I understand. <laughs> but but during Vatican One, um, the Pope just decided made a, made a decision that he like you can just declare yourself infallible. Well, there had been for centuries this this theme of the infallibility of the Church, right? right. So. So, so, God, so functionally, that was happening already. It was already happening, right? Okay. But the debate was, who or what is infallible? Is the church itself infallible? Is the, is the church as the members, the body of Christ infallible? Or, and or is the pope at the head of the church, is he infallible? And yeah. so there's, there's different positions on that yeah. until uh, Vatican II, 1870, and and, and given this development over the course of the last number of centuries, uh, the Pope does proclaim on the basis of the Spirit's guidance and the history of the Church that the Pope, when he speaks ex cathedra from the seat of Peter on a matter of faith or morals, then he, the Holy Spirit preserves him from all error. Okay. All right. That is a huge responsibility. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. Um, well, your book is going to get into a lot of detail that I think that, that people are really going to want. But um, I think at a higher level, in, in my experience, neither Catholics nor evangelicals are always very good at explaining what really the key differences are between mm -hmm. Catholicism and the Protestant church. Yep. So what would you say are the key issues, just to make it clear and simple for people, what are some of the key foundational issues that make the Catholic Church distinct from the Protestant Church? So let me talk about two key foundational issues that are part of the Catholic Church and then two that are part of Protestant churches. Okay. So start with the Catholic Church, uh, two key principles. One is the nature-grace interdependence, okay. which is a fancy expression for this. Uh, nature is anything that exists and has been created by God. Okay. So think of water, bread, and wine. Okay. Uh, according to Catholic theology, God has designed nature, which is not fully destroyed by sin. Mm -hmm. God has designed nature to be able to receive and communicate divine grace. So think of water, which is an element in the realm of nature, when a bishop consecrates it and makes it holy water, when that holy water is applied to the head of an infant, that infant becomes regenerated, his or her original sin is washed away, and that baby becomes a member of the Catholic Church, becomes saved. Sure. Because of the grace that has been communicated through the element of nature, which is water. Okay. Take bread and wine, the same thing within the realm of nature. When the bread and the wine are consecrated by the priest yeah, celebrating the Mass, uh, the grace of God, the very body and blood of Jesus Christ, are communicated through those elements of nature so that they dispense grace to the faithful who participate. So that's the nature-grace interdependence. Grace always has to be concretized, always has to be expressed through natural elements. That's, okay. that's a, a fundamental principle of the Catholic faith. Okay. A second one is the Christ-Church interconnection. 
So the Catholic Church considers uh, Jesus Christ to be completely, totally present on earth, not only in his divine nature, but also his human nature and in his body, the church. So the church already in this earthly existence is the fullness of Jesus Christ. Okay. So we can look at the Catholic Church as the ongoing extension of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. He is fully present here, which helps us to understand why the Catholic Church for Catholics is absolutely essential right. for salvation, for sanctification, for mission. Everything is Catholic Church-centered because it is the fullness of Jesus Christ. Sure. So those two principles are at the heart of Catholic theology and practice. Okay. For us Protestants, you want, me, you want to say anything more there? Or? No, man, no, keep going. This is great. So two, the two key Protestant principles, um, first of all, is sola scriptura. Scripture uh -huh. alone. The Bible is our ultimate authority. Contrary to, so the Catholic Church is going to say, like, it would be Scripture and the Church. It, scripture and tradition yep. and the magisterium or teaching office of the Church. Okay. Those are the, if you will, the, the three legs of a three-legged stool right. of Catholic authority. And we say that Scripture is our ultimate authority. Yeah. Not, not that we, you know— deny traditions and, sure. and creeds and things like that. But when all is said and done, the touchstone of everything uh, we believe and everything we do is scripture. But that would have been contrast. But that but, contrast would have been at the heart of why leadership within the Catholic church must have felt so attacked during the reformation, right? Absolutely. Because, because you, yeah. you would have had reformers saying, I mean, essentially stripping the left arm, if you will, of their authority and saying, exactly. no, it's really only about this. It's only about this. Okay. Exactly. Got you. All then, right. then the second major principle at the heart of Protestantism is justification yep. by grace through faith alone. So God mightily works in our life to justify us, to declare us not guilty, but completely righteous instead, yep. not because we are made righteous, but because the righteousness of Christ is imputed or accredited to our account. So we stand 100% justified, clothed in the righteousness of Christ before God. Mm -hmm. And we appropriate that, we embrace that by faith and faith alone. Yeah, Not faith in the grace of God, which then enables us to merit eternal life, as Catholic theology insists, but faith and faith alone yeah. that will indeed produce the fruit of good works. Yeah. But we're not justified on the basis of our, of our good works. We're yeah. justified by God's declaration of not guilty, but righteous instead. Yeah. Those are two key Protestant principles, which then separate us from the Catholic faith. No, that's very, very helpful. And I, I think one of the things I really appreciate about your book is not just what you write, but the tone that you write it with. Uh, and I think that that's such a, um, it's such a good example, uh, just culturally to the church on, on how it, it, it's like, it's not, you can be right the wrong way. Exactly. And, yes. And I yep. think that, that we're guilty. Like social media for sure doesn't help with that. The blogosphere doesn't help with that, but it's not yep. enough just to be right. Uh, we, we need to be right and, and do it the right way. And so I think one of the great things about your book is just the, the, you, you, you write from a, I don't know if I, I hope you feel comfortable with this, but a sympathetic tone. You're yeah. not, you're not yeah. overly, you state multiple times in the introduction that you're not trying to, this is not a, a harsh critique. Uh, right. Exactly. But, but you still, was that, is that, a, but was that a difficult, what informs that, that sensitivity for you? Working with Catholics, yeah, <laughs> you know, people. in Notre Dame and yeah. in Rome and in Switzerland and yeah. taking classes with Catholics and all like that. 
so uh, you, you, they're not objects out there. They're yeah. they're not. Uh, you know, it's not us against them, right? We're 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 all sinners that we're seeking the gospel to be saved by God's grace. That at least we should be doing that. Yeah. And 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 I think the the right way to engage Catholics with the gospel is in a loving and winsome and sympathetic way. Sure. Right. Uh, rather than a rabidly anti-Catholic uh, approach. Well, due to your tone, I, I am curious about this. I've heard evangelicals talk about Catholicism in, in very polarizing ways, as I'm sure you have yeah. as well. So I've heard some say uh, there are Catholics who love Jesus and are, in mm-hmm. fact, Christians. But I've heard others go so far as to say that Catholicism is a demonic, false religion that yeah. has led billions away. And yeah. so where do you land on that spectrum? And then maybe specifically, can you be Catholic and a truly Bible-believing Christian? So Christendom, and I use that word specifically, consists of three great branches, right? Yep. Uh, The Roman Catholic Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, and Protestant churches. Yep. And so from that perspective, right, the Roman Catholic Church is part of Christendom. Yeah. And it holds to many of, I should say, we Protestants hold to many of the same beliefs as Roman Catholic theology does as well. Right. Indeed, our whole doctrine of the Trinity, though obviously grounded in Scripture, is also deeply informed by uh, Catholic tradition. You know, yeah. the, the creeds of the early church and how that's been worked out in the medieval period and the reformers and all like that. So we have tremendous similarities um, between Protestantism and Catholicism. So um, I, I think where the Catholic Church errs if we just focus on the gospel, mm-hmm. is is not so much the gospel in terms of what Christ has accomplished. We all agree that Jesus Christ died for our sins, paid the penalty for our sins, and resurrected. Yes. I think the error comes in, how do we appropriate that? Right. Is it by God's grace through faith alone, eschewing all good works and not being justified on the good works and faith that we have? Is it on faith alone, or is it does faith put us in a position of cooperating with the grace of God to then engage in good works that will merit eternal life? Right. I just think that application of the gospel is a polar opposites to the biblical message. It's by faith and faith alone. Yeah, and you, you've used the term, and you do in your book, evangelical Catholic. And that, right. that, that might seem like a bit of a, a contrast or oxymoron to some people. And so what, what is uh, an evangelical Catholic? Different different views out there. Um, okay. Catholics who are very evangelistic, if you will, about uh-huh. their Catholic faith. They're very aggressive about their Catholic faith, and and um, engage in evangelization like like Protestants do. Sure. So, so that that would be one form of it. Uh, another way, another use of the term evangelical Catholic would be Catholics who have embraced the gospel of justification by grace through faith alone, and uh, they would say they are called by God to stay within the heart of the Catholic Church to evangelize the, their Catholic friends and neighbors and the members of their parish. Okay. Uh, so, so at least those two different ways, uh, okay. term th- that term is used in those two different ways. All right. So I'm just trying to understand this. So on a <clears throat> on a the message of the gospel level um, that Christ lived, died, rose again to save us from sin. We agree on that. 
um, yes. where there would be difference is in um, how we go about receiving and applying that. And yes. that is where there is still, correct me if I'm wrong, a sharp divide and that we believe that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, and that yes. the Catholic Church is, is still going to hold to it is a combination of, of, some, of grace and works, correct? Yes, you have to emphasize it is a grace-focused um, okay. perspective, right? Okay. A lot of yeah. Protestants get that wrong. Totally, yeah. It, it, it very much is grace-focused. Yeah, so the but Catholic that, Church wouldn't say it's a 50-50, like it's no, 50% no. grace and 50% hard work. It's grace, the, the grace of God um, and your faith in that enables you, puts you in a position of being able to cooperate with that grace yeah. to engage in good works and married eternal life. And of course, that grace, remember, is communicated through the sacraments. Sure. So baptism begins it. So yeah. you cannot be saved apart from baptism. Yes. Now, most Protestants, not all Protestants, but most Protestants would say, no, baptism doesn't save you. It certainly doesn't regenerate you in the sense that the Catholic Church believes. Right. And, and not only is it baptism that begins it, but then the sacrament of the Eucharist continues, right, to dispense grace, to fortify the Christian. You've got the sacrament of penance. When you've committed a mortal sin and lost justifying grace, that has to be restored, and it is through the sacrament of penance. So grace is always concretized. Remember, we talked about that. It's always yeah. actualized through some element of, of nature. Okay. And that's another major difference. Sure. No, yeah. Well, I keep thinking about a conversation I had actually just a couple of weeks ago with a young woman who's new to redemption. And uh, she came up to me after a sermon. She was raised Catholic. Uh, mm -hmm. Family is still all Catholic. Uh, she has since, <clears throat> not, not in any sort of formal way, but just functionally, she's walked away from the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's growing in leaps and bounds. Uh, she is experiencing yeah. a... Um, She's experiencing God in a way she never has before. I think I would just say it like that. Um, but she's also experiencing uh, a growing amount of conflict from within her family. And they essentially believe that because she has walked away from the Catholic Church, she has walked away from God. So my question is, am I right in assuming that that's a pretty common response within a deeply Catholic family? And if so, how, yes. would, how would you counsel someone who is experiencing that? I think it is among conservative Catholics. I think you said deeply Catholic families. Yeah. That is a normal response. Okay. Uh, because the, the Catholic faith, it, it's, it's a whole worldview. It's a whole culture. It's a right. whole, it's a, it's a family and, and uh, tribal reality, isn't right. it? So you, in a sense, you're walking away from who you are. You're walking away from your family, from your culture, from your context. Sure. So that's a very typical, uh, really, if I can make a plug for a very good friend's book, yes. Chris Castaldo is up in the Chicago area. He wrote a book several years ago, Holy Ground, Walking with Jesus as a Former Catholic. Amazing book. Well, I would I'll, suggest that she reads that. Yeah, I'll put a link up in the, uh, in the show notes to both yeah. that and your book. I agree. That's an excellent book and, on that. And he's got a new one coming out, uh, talking with Catholics about the gospel. Okay. And I just read that and, and uh, endorsed it uh, just yesterday. Okay. And it is very, very good helping people understand the similarities and differences between Catholic theology and Protestant theology, giving some really concrete help for how to share the gospel with family, friends, and, and family, friends, relatives, and so forth. So uh, I would counsel with that. And, and I think she just... I think 
living her newfound uh, faith in Jesus Christ, Uh um, uh, being very grounded in the word, loving her family, praying for them, and if they're open, even having Bible studies with them. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, sharing what she's learning about God through Christ at, at your church, I think are excellent ways for her to engage with her family. They 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 can't deny her experience, sure. right? Yep. Um, they may write her off as, as for other reasons, but they can't deny her experience. And when they see her growing to love God and others with all her heart, soul, mind, and strength, something is going to be very attractive about that. Right. I think one thing that helps me understand the reaction a little bit is the way that you explained that that at least conservative Catholics are going to <clears throat> that didn't didn't you say that the the Catholic Church is the um, that there is a sense in which the Catholic Church is uh, the incarnation of Christ yeah, the ongoing, ongoing incarnation right so yep. if you walk away from the Catholic Church you walk away I mean you are literally walking away from Jesus so that explains why yeah. <laughs> that's I mean right I mean is am I yes yes for conservative Catholics that's okay. the way it now the more progressive Catholics uh-huh. and this also this comes out of Vatican II the, the, the more progressive Catholics really take an inclusivistic view okay. of 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 salvation in Jesus Christ that Protestants can be saved by Protest- by following their Protestant faith, uh-huh. and and Jews by following their Jewish faith, and, and Muslims by following their Islamic faith, and Hindus and Buddhists and agnostics, even atheists, you know, by following the dictates of their religions or the dictates of their conscience, uh, and, and and so progressive uh, Catholics would say. You became a Protestant. You're going to Redemption Church. What that's fine for you. You know, yeah. you can find Christ that way. Okay. So it's it. it I think it, we're putting our finger on something. There's a great deal of diversity within the Catholic Church, sure. as much as maybe more than even within Protestantism. Yeah. Hmm. So. <clears throat> Still, I still keep thinking about this question a couple minutes ago. But so, as an as an evangelical Catholic, that you could mm. that that not only holds to the correct message of the gospel in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, but also what we would would agree as a biblical application of it or reception of it. That's through grace alone, through faith alone. You yeah. you can be in that sense Catholic and a genuinely regenerate, saved, as we would define Christian. Within the heart of the Catholic Church, yes. Yes. Um, I, I Yes. I, okay. I will say um, you will find it difficult. A person yeah. like that will find it difficult to progress yeah. and find deep um, heart-to-heart fellowship. Yeah. And, and this is why uh, it's— Because you're kind of going to be the redheaded yeah. stepchild, aren't you? I mean... it, 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 that's right, yeah. And, and uh, there's a lot in the Catholic Church that will nourish that person. Uh, I mean, the recitation of the creed, the readings of the Old Testament and New Testament and gospel, every every mass, yeah. the prayers and things like that, all of that can be nourishing. But, um, you know, my friends who were evangelical who become Catholics, I mean, they, they talk about how much they miss the, the robust theology, the, the really encouragement of sanctification, the fellowship with like-minded believers. Yeah. So I, it's, it's, uh, it's, can Catholics be saved? Yes. Yes. Uh, if they stay in their Catholic parish, it, it can be very difficult for them to progress. Yeah. 
So you could be, you just may not want to. Uh, I would encourage them, right, to become members of an evangelical church like yours, where they're hearing the word preached and correct doctrine expressed and and practicing the gospel and things like that. Okay, that's helpful. Um, I've wondered for a while, and I wonder if you think about this, I've wondered in cities like Chicago with such a high population of Catholics, if... If yeah. if the Catholic Church isn't one of our most desperate mission fields, um, and that's I mean one of the reasons I think that your book is so important. But I'm curious what you think about that. Is is one of our great opportunities um, relationship with missional intentional relationship with Catholic friends and family? I couldn't have said it better. Oh, okay, absolutely, absolutely. Well, then uh, if, if if so, because, like, yeah, go ahead. Because there, there's already a framework there that's going to be helpful to us. Yeah. Uh, belief in the triune God. Yes. Respect for scripture, um, the gospel, you know, about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right. So there's already a lot in place. It's not like working with a Muslim who knows absolutely nothing about Christianity, right? A lot of the things are already in place, working with Catholic friends and family members and all. Right. So that that's already there. Um, I, I think what we need to have with our Catholic family uh, members and friends is a real long-term vision for working with them because, yeah, maybe you could share the four spiritual laws with them and get them to pray to receive Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, Catholics love to pray yeah. and love to talk to Jesus and all that. Yeah. But is it true repentance and faith? I'm doubtful. Okay. Because what I think they need to understand over the course of weeks and even months being exposed to the Word of God, being exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to know who Jesus is and what he has done and know what's the right way of appropriating his salvation in their life. And and that, in a sense, that takes some time to deconstruct what they've believed, but fill it in with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ through the Word of God. So a constant exposure. And, and we did this in, in Rome. We did We led reading groups of the gospel where, say, on a Tuesday night, we would get together with our Catholic friends. We would look ahead to the reading of the gospel at the Mass that coming Sunday, and that would become our Bible study. Hmm. And we would read the text. We didn't, you know, we'd uh, try to understand, you know, who are the people, just basic interpretation uh, and and application and prayer and all like that. So week in after week out, uh, month in, month out, uh, exposing them to the Word of God that produces gospel fruit. Okay. So that's, the, I think, the, the attitude that we need to have and the approach we need to have to our Catholic friends and family members. Yeah, I, I really like, <clears throat> so as, as, as you look at the essentials of like the things to keep in mind as we try to engage Catholics with the gospel, I, I like that you said that we have to have a long view relationally yeah. and not have it, you know, there's not probably going to be a quick fix that is exactly. legitimate yeah. anyways. Uh, so exposure to the gospel over a season of time in the context yep. of community, anything else that you would add that is really, really essential from a, from an evangel, uh, evangelism standpoint with Catholics? Love them well yeah. with the love of God through Jesus Christ, empowered by the spirit, love them well, pray for them and, and don't ever give up on them. Uh, don't get angry and frustrated and throw the Bible at them. Sure. Right. Uh, you also don't have to know all Catholic theology, yeah. you know, um, but and, and to make it 
it's not your opinion against their opinion. And, and this is why you focus on the Bible. What does the Bible say? That's good. And so you're constantly referring your family members and friends to Scripture because that is, it's an authority for them, and it's our ultimate authority. So make sure that that we're not, it's your your view against my view. No, what does Scripture say? Yeah. And just read the Bible with them yeah. and get them to read it. And uh, we, we believe the faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of Christ. So, so God will intervene in their life as they're exposed to the Word of God yeah. and love them well and pray for them well and and, and show the genuineness of your faith and, and, and worship God deeply and develop your, a strong relationship with the Lord. Yeah, I will say that that's one of the things I, I think I've been the most surprised at since planting the church is people coming and uh, <clears throat> not just Catholics, but a lot of Catholics for sure, having their number one piece of feedback after service be, now we love the way that you just like preach out of the Bible. Exactly. Uh, I yeah. never thought that would be the, uh, I mean, I think I started a church thinking I had some clever ideas and, uh, it turns out the thing that people like the most is just when you preach out of the Bible, which is kind of awesome. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Another thing I would say, and maybe perhaps you already do this at your church is, is to um, have a gospel liturgy. Yeah. You know, if you're trying to reach Catholics, right. A, a, a liturgical approach to the church, to the church worship service, yeah. where it's very gospel-based, you know, a call to worship, um, expression of praise and thanksgiving to God, confession of sin, reminding the congregation that there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ, preaching the word, regular celebrations of baptism and the Lord's Supper, yeah. uh, commissioning at the end, a gospel liturgy where your people are living the gospel in terms of the structure of the service that really helps Catholics to, to connect well. They go, you know what, yours is a little bit different than the Catholic Church, but I, I get the pattern that you're trying to do right. to uh, endorse here. That's great. Well, one of the, one of the things I've been doing is, uh, as I know that I have conversations coming up, I've been asking on social media what questions people have. Oh, and great. so yeah, I've got a couple questions, and mm -hmm. uh, so. We'll start with Facebook. I uh, put it on Facebook and Twitter. On Facebook, uh, a friend named John Velarde asked, I thought this was an interesting question, what should our response uh, to and perspective of people like the Pope and other leadership figures in the Catholic Church be as evangelicals? What should our perspective of the Pope be? Yeah. 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 Does that um, make sense? Yeah. You know, I, I guess a twofold response. Uh, we need to see, you know, theologically and practically that he is the vicar of Jesus Christ. He is God's representative um, on earth. And, and when he acts and when he speaks, he's acting and speaking in the person of Jesus Christ with the authority delegated to him. Yes. And, and he stands as the head of the Catholic Church and, and, uh, that's extremely hard for us as Protestants to understand. But I you're don't saying think we, we have to grasp. we have to understand and recognize that we have to yes. we have, exactly right. Yeah. He's not just he's not just um, a nice guy, right? right? Who's an administrative leader, right? He yeah. is uh, the vicar of Jesus Christ. He's he's the representative of Jesus Christ yeah. for the Catholic Church. Yeah. Um, uh, secondly, particularly with with this pope, um, who has sent maybe confusing messages. Uh, kind of inclusive with uh, atheists can even go to heaven and kind of embracing homosexuality and at the same time reinforcing the traditional marriage and family structures and all like that. Uh, remember, oftentimes the reports that we get about the Pope are from the liberal media yeah. who want to construct the Pope in their liberal image. And anything that he says 
that they can grasp onto. You know, he's a liberal pope, or he's going to take the church and make it completely different than it ever was. That, that's their spin on things, and, yeah. and and that's probably not very helpful. And remember, just if he has an interview with a journalist or he's speaking off the cuff, his remarks are not authoritative, right? They're, they're not church tradition. Right. Um, and sometimes, just like you and I, when we speak, as even yeah. I've spoken in, in this interview, right, we, we, we may, maybe misspeak at times, and, and he can do that. That's, that, that. that's something that's real for him. Yeah. So, you know, we have to understand who he is structurally and, and uh, with, it, with all the importance that he holds in the Catholic Church, and also uh, temper our understanding and criticism of them that we're getting from liberal media, it may not be the case at all. Yeah, that's a good word. Uh, this next question comes from uh, on Facebook from uh, Ryan Couch. This is a big one. This was beyond me. You're much smarter than I am, so I'm, this is going to be your problem, not mine, to answer. So, <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so he says, um, do you believe that modern Protestantism is really different from Catholicism in its theology of sanctification? Clearly, in regard to justification, there are lines of demarcation. However, it seems there is very little difference in how many Protestants approach sanctification. So do you see it? Is there a difference uh, theologically or practically in the way that Catholics would pursue sanctification and Protestants would pursue sanctification? Yeah, uh, yes. Um, let's take Scripture, first of all. Okay. Now, the Catechism of the Catholic Church encourages Catholics to read the Bible and study the Bible, you know, both for being formed in good theology and their conscience and for growth and sanctification, all like that. The reality is when you get into a local Catholic parish, uh, the scripture is largely overlooked. There's hardly any personal Bible reading, small group Bible studies. So, and Protestant, contrast that with Protestant sanctification, right. which is word-centered. So that's, again, the Catholic Church affirms the importance of Scripture and encourages the faithful to read it. The, the problem is it doesn't get translated practically into the level there for lay people. Mm -hmm. Secondly, Protestants obviously have the two sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, uh, and, and, and some Protestant denominations consider those means of grace. Others don't. But for Catholics, their primary way of sanctification is through the sacraments, and right. you can't be you can't be uh, progressing in the Catholic faith. You can't be experiencing sanctification, God's grace for maturing, apart from what elements of nature, yeah, right, uh, which are the the Eucharist primarily, and then penance, the sacrament of penance. So, uh, you know, we we Protestants don't look at the Eucharist as the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We don't go. We don't have a sacrament of of penance where we confess our sins and and uh, and, and and have contrition with absolution from a priest. We don't have anything like that. So I, I think there are some similarities. Prayer, for example, and engagement in good works. There are also a lot of differences between Catholic sanctification and Protestant sanctification. Okay. Yeah, that's helpful. Uh, another maybe one other difference there. Uh, Catholics receive help and sanctification through the examples, the models of Mary and the saints, Yeah, right? These are heroes of the faith who have fully walked in the obedience of faith, cooperating with the grace of God, and they're interceding for us. They're providing models of sanctification for us. And, and of course, Protestantism does not elevate Mary and the saints that way. 
we say all of us are saints, sure. but we are far from perfect, right? right and right. we are not living the obedience of faith as we should, but we're experiencing day by day, moment by moment, the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ because of his death and resurrection. So, so I'd say there's there are some similarities, there's family resemblances, but there's a lot of difference yeah. at the heart of sanctification Absolutely. models. Absolutely. All right. Two more questions. Uh, one, well, one will, I want to end on a, on a positive note because I really think that that fits with the heart and tone of your book. But uh, on Twitter, uh, DJ Dan Rosga asks, what are your primary areas of disappointment and concern in the current Roman Catholic Church? So disappointments, concerns currently, and then we'll end on a positive note what you're encouraged with. Um, I would say that the number one point of discouragement is the, the Catholic Church moving in the direction of inclusivism. Okay. That inclusivism has two points. Uh, first, Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, saves human beings. And Catholics believe that, Protestants believe that, so we're on the same page as far as that first point. The second point of inclusivism, for Protestants, we say, uh, sorry, the first point for inclusivism is, though Jesus Christ has accomplished salvation, uh, people can be saved apart from knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? So through the Holy Spirit in their religion, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, or through the Holy Spirit working through the dictates of their conscience, they can embrace the grace of God and be saved. That's inclusivism. They affirm, one, that Christ is the Savior, and two, people can be saved apart from the gospel. We as Protestants deny that second point, right? Right. We say, you not only is Christ the Savior, point one, but point two, you must uh, hear the good news, repent of your sins, and believe in Jesus Christ. Right. So that, to me, is, ex- is an extremely uh, difficult and disappointing part of, of uh, Roman Catholic theology and practice post-Vatican II. Okay. Because what? It, it eviscerates the, the complete and utter need for the gospel. There right. is another hope yeah. out there apart from the gospel. And that goes against scripture. It goes against our, our, our Protestant foundations yeah. and all. So that's the number one concern of mine. Okay. Well, what would you say then <clears throat> are you when you look at the new pope when you look at the state of the catholic church today are are there things that you are encouraged by or that you do think are still positive things to i mean i don't know if celebrate is the right word but to be fostered and cultivated one would be uh and i guess a hope would be a a growing emphasis on scripture Hmm. um again Vatican II emphasized the importance of reading the Bible and studying the Bible and, and really urged people, um, you know, you can't have Christ apart from the Bible. They, they, they quote Jerome on this. And, I, and, and so in some Catholic parishes where there's kind of a renewal of emphasis on Scripture, that's very good news. A second um, point, I think, of encouragement is this pope is talking a lot about the gospel and evangelization and mission and things like that, that's encouraging. It, it can also be discouraging because he often means quite something quite different than we mean. Yeah. So, but, but it could perhaps with Catholics, as they hear him talking about the gospel and grace and mission and evangelization, when we talk to them about the gospel and grace and things like that, at least they have heard the word. They may be sure. familiar with the term. We have to redefine it. Right. We have to emphasize it in the correct way. 
but there there may be a growing openness yeah. on the part of Catholics towards our message. I, I would be hopeful for that. Excellent. Well, the new book is Roman Catholic Theology and Practice. It's available now on Amazon, and we'll put a link in the notes to this. Uh, but Dr. Fantastic. Allison, thank you so much for your time. I've, I've learned a lot, and I, I know that everyone who listens has as well. So thank you so very much. Thank you so much. It's been it's just been a joy to be with you. Thank you. Excellent. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of In the Room. I walk away from this conversation so thankful for Dr. Allison, specifically for his heart and for his tone. My one thing from this conversation is that we have to remember that the people that we differ with are just that, they're people. And if we're going to love, serve, and engage Catholics with the gospel, then we have to love them and serve them and engage them as people. But I'm curious to hear what your one thing was that stuck with you. You can share your one thing online using the hashtag in the room. As always, I'd love to connect with you on my blog, ryanhugley.com, and also on Twitter at ryanhugley. I hope you'll subscribe to the podcast and help me spread the word. If you enjoyed this episode, it would be a huge help if you could take just a second and leave us a review on iTunes. We're going to be back next week with episode number five in my conversation with Mark Job. He's the lead pastor of New Life Community Church, a multi-congregational and multi-ethnic church in urban Chicago. He's also the author of the book Unstuck, Out of Your Cave and Into Your Call. Until then, it's been an honor serving with you. We're in this together. I love you and look forward to next time.